I am with someone that I think the world knows, Emmanuel Acho. Emmanuel Acho. Emmanuel Acho. You played at one of the best universities, went to the NFL, became a sports commentator. Then you start some comfortable conversations. I, I will say this, it was incredibly powerful, but at the same time scrutinized. I, I'll keep it 100. There's people who feel a way about what you're saying. Let's roll the clip for Acho on this show. It's like he's on a panel with kids in here. I'm not afraid of white people. I am cautious of white people. I'll be honest with you. I think he's 1,000% full of The point and the purpose of my creation was reconciliation, but everybody ain't view it like that. Criticism is the cost of praise. Early on, nobody really had issues with uncomfortable conversations. Black, white, in between. Right. Do the negative comments, do they ever get under your skin? So I'm in my house by myself, and I didn't really have anybody. I moved to a new city. I pick up the phone, I call many of them. And I say, uh, I say, hey, bro. I say, I think I'm depressed. And he said, uh, he said. This is The Deep End with Lecrae. Listen, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here today. I am with, um, Someone that I think the world knows, um, and the world knows for many reasons. The world knows him for uh, his accolades on and off the field uh, as a former NFL player. And now, uh, shoot, what do you call this man? I mean, he's he's a media maven at this point in time. Um, I have seen him do some incredible things, We've seen him do uncomfortable conversations with a black man or uncomfortable conversations with Emmanuel Acho. Now, uh, that is who we're talking to, Emmanuel Acho, who's also a, a friend. His brother, Sam, and I are, are great friends as well. Um, but more than that, more than that, if there's anything that I can say about this man is that he met Oprah, and I haven't met Oprah. And so... Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm low key jealous a little bit. That's one of my goals. He met Oprah. So outside of that, man, Emmanuel, bro, it's just good to have you here. It's good to just talk to you, man, and just to be real and have some real candid conversations. So just off the rip, we go back. We have a lot of mutual connections. We have a lot of mutual relationships. I just want to set the the presence because this isn't like just a cold call. Um, talk to us a little bit about you know, Dallas and, 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 you know, both of us have roots in, in Dallas and family and so on and so forth. So what, what, give us a little bit of that backstory. Yeah. First and foremost, um, this is love. Glad to be here with you, family. Um, full transparency. What's dope about relationships and the ones that we share, oftentimes celebrities are like new friends. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, this person now nah, we follow each other on social. We ain't really met, but Cray again, you and I probably go back a, over a decade now. Um, yeah. Just off nature yeah. of running in the same circles, and then before I knew you personally, I knew you as a as a as a as a as a as somebody who made great music that impacted my life. Never shared this story with you, but I went went to a private school in Dallas, Texas, all boys school called Saint Mark School of Texas. On Fridays in Texas, you got Friday Night Lights. Every Friday, you come to the school in your your khaki pants, your blue button downs, and you wear your football jersey over your school uniform. 7.30s on Friday mornings at my high school in my senior year, I would do something called gospel revivals. 
And me and my homeboys, we would meet in the parking lot before school ever started. It was still pitch black out. And I had this uh, 06 Gold Forerunner. And we would just rock your albums in the parking lot at 7 till 7.15 till the seniors and the juniors started to load up the parking lot, about 15 of us on a football team. And we would just jam um, to the old school tracks, Don't Waste Your Life, to the to the, uh, to the Jesus Musics, to the, to the old school joints. So just wanted to say that publicly. Um, before I ever knew you as a friend, man, you impacted my life uh, as an athlete. You impacted my life on the field and and the last song I listened to for my entire NFL and collegiate playing career true story the very last song I always played was don't waste your life very last wow. song um so just so, want, just wanted to give you that you have me to thank for your illustrious <laughs> uh, sports career that's that's what we're here uh, for, ladies and gentlemen. That's all we came to say. I hope y'all have a blessed day. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I'm still out here, y'all. You see what it is, okay? My dog. Um, um, but no, born, <laughs> born and raised in Dallas, Texas. Went to Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship um, under Tony Evans for the majority of my young adult life. Then my dad, who was yeah. um, third in charge at that church, he left to start his own church um, very publicly. My dad is uh, Kirk Franklin's therapist. Obviously, you and Kirk are cool. Mm-hmm. Kirk's like my big bro, Pops. My dad's like Kirk's Pops. Tony Evans is like my OG. So the the Bible circles in Dallas and the Christian circles are just very, very small. I got to ask you, bro, because you just brought up the fact that your dad's a therapist. Um, do you think that is... What are the pros and cons of of growing up with a a dad who can, you know, wax emotional, philosophical with you know his kids? What are the what's the highs and lows of that, Bruh, At 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 a young age, all cons, no pros, fam. <laughs> okay. Because straight up and down, you're sitting there like, does my dad have telepathic skills? Right, like you mm-hmm. you can't tell no lies because you like he's a mind reader. Um, And so growing up, it was more cons because I always felt like I was being psychoanalyzed. Um, Mm. Now, as an adult, so many more pros. I mean, my dad's a psychologist Mm -hmm. and marital counselor. And so, you know, my parents have been married, I think, pushing 40 years now. Um, My my siblings are all happily married. And, And so just seeing the role that my dad has been able to portray and different people come up to me, whether it is the Kirks, whether it is. Uh, 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 the David and Tamala Mans, whether it is the whoever, just being like, hey, man, like, your dad changed my life. And so that mm-hmm. is just like, hey, that's special to me, seeing the impact he's had on people who have impacted me, and now I can impact other people, just seeing how things are passed down. The conversation you and I are having is like, bro, mm-hmm. like, you've impacted me unknowingly. Now I get to impact mm-hmm. other people unknowingly, and hopefully those people impact other people unknowingly. I think that's the beauty of life, man. Mm. Now you you said something in passing, uh, ladies. He said his siblings are all married. He didn't say he was. <laughs> so uh, Emmanuel Acho is currently not married. I, I, that's all I'm gonna say. I don't know any other details. And and that's his business to share, but but we know he's not married. That's we fact. know that. Okay. All right. That's I just wanted to put that out there. Uh y'all got a lot of ladies. They be they 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 they, they, they watch. So um no, so you're this is uncanny, bro. Like it's uncanny for a lot of the circumstances and situations that you've found yourself in. You are 
um, a product of a Christian family. You're going to this amazing church, which I, my wife and I went to as well, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. You have an incredible father and you, for all intents and purposes, I mean, you have so much healthy investment going on in your world. And then, you know, even more uncanny is both you and your brother are like high school athletic superstars. Like how, like you, are you used to the attention? Like, you, yes, you, you've got Emmys behind you. You've met with Oprah, all these particular things. Is this something that you had grown accustomed to growing up? Was it because sometimes it can be both a, a, a treasure and a trap, mm. right? Mm. And and I, I want you to kind of speak to that. Like, what was that like for you? And, and how has that affected you even into your adulthood? Bro, great question. Great question. I would say the blessing and the curse of my life is that I am numb to notoriety. It's a blessing and mm. the, um, I'm numb to it. And I say that because, like you said, when you play high school ball in Texas, in Texas, you better be that dude. And then yeah. I went to the University of Texas when we were amazing. My sophomore year, we went to a national championship game, played at, at the Rose Bowl versus Alabama. My freshman year, we started off 12 and 11 and 0. My first two years in college, I was 26 and 2. I'm starting as a sophomore. My brother's already there starting. It's the Acho brothers. It's all the things. The reason I say it's a blessing and a curse, though, I don't get excited by things. Things don't move me. So people be like, yo, you just did this. And I'm like, cool. Celebrate. Celebrate. What are you doing? Celebrate. I don't celebrate. But the mm -hmm. problem, the reason I don't celebrate is because I'm always thinking about the next and thinking about mm. the next and thinking about the next that I never enjoy the now. And yeah. so I, I don't say it arrogantly. I actually say it as though it's a flaw. I mm -hmm. struggle with celebrating because I am so numb to it. I'm just not, yep. the life we've been blessed to live and I've been blessed to live. It's a cool life, but I'm, I'm moving on. A pur I'm on a purpose. I'm on a mission. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm on a mission. I don't really have time to. Stop. I'm on a mission, but yeah. I need to be better about stopping. Yeah, I can totally relate, man. I, I think that I, I, I've seen this and I didn't I don't know what the driving force for you was. Maybe there was some in, internal desire to make sure that such an incredible dad who put these values in you felt like you were living up to, you know, these expectations. Maybe it was some internal Burden. I can speak for myself. I think for me, it was I noticed that I felt valuable um, when I won, when I was winning and I felt like I was meaningful and I had value. And similar to you, um, there was no such thing as the a limit. Like I, I didn't know where the limit was. I just knew I had to hit each goal on the way. So it's like, OK, won a Grammy. Great. Uh, number one album in the country. Great. Platinum single, great. The The beauty of it is, man, God is using you in this unique way to break barriers and boundaries. The struggle of it is, similar to what you said, is A, you are not celebrating. You're not taking a minute to just be like, oh my goodness, it happened. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would say is you're also, you're programmed to that being your reality, Yeah. right? Like if, if you're not winning, what are you or, mm -hmm. or, you know what I mean? What does that look like? And I'm curious, man, you've had, cause I mean, you're barely, you're barely in your thirties, right? You've had so much success in your twenties. 
how do you process that? Because most people haven't accomplished what you've accomplished by their 40s. How do you process all this happening at such a young age? Oof. Boy, come with the heaters. Um, <laughs> Man, that's a good one, too. I don't think that I do. Mm -hmm. I don't process it. I, I honestly, bro, I want to be one of the most creative people that's ever lived. So in order to do that, you got to create. So to me, there isn't there isn't processing. To me, there is like, Acho, what can you do next? But the biggest problem I found in my own life is, well, now you're a prisoner of your own success. And people don't mm. realize, bro, like, you don't need physical chains to be in prison. Mm. You don't need shackles to be in prison. And so, like, now you end up, the things that you would have wept over accomplishing, mm. now you're upset at. Like, mm. things that you previously would have celebrated like crazy. Yes. Now you're disgusted at yourself for. And so to me, it's, it's, it's the dichotomy of like, I have done so much, but in my mind, I haven't really done anything at all. Like if you were right. really asked me, I'd be like, no, I haven't done, I haven't really, I, cool. I haven't really done anything at all. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I just haven't done enough, which is probably why to so many other people, they think I've done so much, but in my head, mm -hmm. I'm like, I ain't even, that's not, I haven't done anything. Okay. Okay. For, for those watching, uh, and I, and I love this. I think this is, this is insight to the psyche of a lot of people who are extremely accomplished. Like a lot of them don't feel like they've hit that target because there's another target that they're looking at on the journey. Right. But, but, but for, for like you, um, you know, were a high school superstar, you played at one of the, the best universities. I mean, arguably the best university in the state of Texas. Um, you went to the NFL, which is a feat that most people only dream about. You left the NFL and became a sports comment commentator, which is another thing that a lot of former athletes dream about. But you went almost immediately into the sports commentary space. Then you start, you know, in an incredibly powerful podcast, Uncomfortable Conversations. I, I I'll say this. It, it was uh, incredibly powerful, but at the same time scrutinized mm -hmm. heavily as well. Yeah, we'll get um, to that. And then you go on to write books and your, both of your books are on the New York Times bestsellers list. One of them was number one, E. Come on, fam. So I, I hear what you're saying, but there's like, so for me personally, I, I don't follow Kevin Hart on social media anymore. The reason why I don't follow Kevin Hart is because we're like, we're like the same age, but I start getting too wrapped up in what I haven't done and what I need to do. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I stop appreciating what I've already accomplished. Mm. So I'm like, dang, I haven't hit $750 million. Um, so I'm not, I'm not doing enough. Is there, is there a proverbial Kevin Hart for you? Is there, are there people that you're like, all right, I haven't hit that yet. I got to hit that. All right. So this thing right here is an album. I know it, you may not know what an album is. It's like a thing that plays records, a record in order to listen to it. You have to flip it over to hear both sides of it. Now, generally, the A side of the record is all the commercial hits, all the stuff that everybody knows. The B side is like the deep cuts, the stuff that most people don't get to hear. 
the stuff that's like, whoa. I wanted to be successful to escape dysfunction. Mm. So, so when I'm talking to somebody, I'm coming as the most authentic form of myself as possible. Now, I ain't for everybody, which is why God has so many disciples, because everybody ain't for everybody. There's a B-side to our worlds, to our lives, that most people don't get access to, that most people don't talk about, but we want to do that. And that's what the B-side app is. The B-side is a safe place to talk about the things that, you know, are on the other side of the record. Download the app and join the family. See you on the B-side. Not yet. Because okay. to your point, for my age, I was above the curve. Oof. You feel me? That's why I, said, I, 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 I am the Kevin Hart. <laughs> <laughs> I, left, I left football at 25. Because in the NFL, yeah. what most people don't know, in the NFL, a little secret for, for, for the show, four years, your vested pension with annuity. You have all the benefits after you play in the NFL for four years. Three games counts as a credited season. So three games, if you play or are on the active roster, you get one year. I played in the NFL for four years. After the fourth year, I was like, I'm good. I, the oldest text message in my phone is a text message from August of 2016. It is from a scout of the Buffalo Bills. He texts me, hey, Emmanuel, this is so-and-so from the Buffalo Bills. Please give me your driver's license and your social security. We want to bring you in for a workout. I don't respond. True story. He texts me back again. Hey, Emmanuel, need your driver's license. Want to fly you in for a workout this morning. I don't respond. The reason I save those text messages is because for my psyche, I wanted to remind myself I left the NFL. The NFL did not leave me. So mm. I leave at 25 because I was like, okay, Cray, I'm not going to be a Hall of Famer. I'm not going to be an All-Pro. Pivot. Well, then in television, I had won two Emmys two bestsellers, including a number one bestseller by 29. So now I'm like, ah, but I could be a Hall of Famer over here. You feel me? And so yeah, yeah. there is nobody like that for me right now because I'm trying to be that somebody. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? Now, there are other people that are super young that have done super dope things, got some EGOTs, all them things, but I'm like, oh, don't worry, I'm coming. You know what I'm saying? Uh, like, I see. <laughs> don't worry, I'm, a, I'm a, you know what I'm saying? So how do you wrestle with the tension? Because I personally wrestle with the tension of personal success and impact, right? Mm -hmm. um, obviously, I know you and I know your heart. And your heart is definitely impact. Your, your intent is to see transformation happen in this world, in society. But oftentimes, your intent... And, does not always benefit you mm. internally, right? Mm. You don't all, because we're, we're all broken. You know, we're all giraffes on ice skates at best. None of us are as amazing as we'd like to imagine we are. Like, how, what does that wrestle for you? Because man, that's a lot. That the, the, But I think a lot of people don't understand the the tensions that come with success. And people will think you're only driven by accomplishing goals. Um. And we all know that that can deteriorate the soul, right? We all know like, all right, if this is all I'm after, it's, it's empty. I'm going to die one day. And it's like, all right, what, did I make a difference in this world? And I guess what I'm just saying is how do you, for you, what has been the detriments for you personally? And then how do you navigate both wanting to be impactful, but at the same time being driven? Bro, for the longest time, I felt like I was wasting my life. I was at a conference, mm -hmm. you've been there before, I think you spoke at it, we may have been there at the same time, Pro Athletes Outreach. 
Oh, yeah. Yo. Um, yeah. it's a PAO is a conference for uh, NFL players or significant others, or if they're single, they go there. Different pastors will come speak, the Tony Evans of the world, the Judah Smiths of the world. Different artists will yeah. come perform, the Lecrae's, the Trip Lee's, Andy Minio's. Lecrae, I believe it was 2015 PAO, Trip Lee was speaking. Trip was up there, and I don't ever ask questions. Huge auditorium for those listening. I'll paint the picture. 350 guys, anywhere from the, you know, the Russell Wilsons are there to the maybe the Tom Brady's to the practice squad players. But I asked a question, and I said, what you all do is inherently good. Inherently Christian, mm-hmm. inherently mm-hmm. Uh, righteous. Playing football ain't none of that. So mm-hmm. I'm sitting here playing football trying to impact people. I ain't impacting nobody by making a tackle. But every time you drop an album, you are literally investing into the good of the world. So mm-hmm. for the longest time, I was like, bro, I'm really just wasting time. Like mm-hmm. wasting time is living. I'm over here trying, mm-hmm. what am I what, what can I do and say that I actually made a difference in the world? I can't say mm-hmm. nothing. Now, when uncomfortable conversations started, it all changed. Because mm-hmm. uncomfortable conversations, the point of the conversations was reconciliation. You and I were talking about a mm-hmm. podcast off camera. The names and the, are irrelevant, but a ton of virality right now. But the virality mm-hmm. is all for shade. It's all for this mm. person calling out that person, this person mm-hmm. calling out that person, this person exposing that person. And I thought about it yesterday because I'm watching all the videos of this viral podcast and this viral show. Then I had to check myself, Cray, because I said, Acho, mm. all of this stuff is toxic. There is nothing. Mm. Up- there is nothing beneficial. There is nothing bringing together. There is nothing bridging. There is nothing reconciling. We are yeah. just all sitting here. Clicking, watching, retweeting, supporting, ha ha and kikiing over other people tearing down other people and their wives and significant others. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I struggled with that in my mid-20s as I was a professional athlete because I was like, my life mm-hmm. is of no substantial value. Yeah. Then when I dropped Uncomfortable Conversations, everything changed because now the point and the purpose of my creation was reconciliation, but everybody ain't you it like that. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about that because I, 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 I'll keep it one hundred. I think we. I, I, I'll talk about myself uh, because I have lived and functioned in majority white spaces and majority black spaces. I felt like I was well versed in understanding perspectives, right? And I, you know. There was a season for me where I had to, even my staff, start walking them through some uncomfortable conversations about what was going on in society. And, you know, my white staff members felt safe to ask questions that would have been like, yo, you better not ever say this outside of this building because it's going to be crazy. And so I did understand the necessity to, like, really answer the curious. Now, on the flip side, there's other people who are not curious at all. They, they just want to reprimand or they just want to challenge your perspectives or they're, they're, they, they want to remain willfully ignorant to what's going on in society. Um, and so you have that as well. I found myself in this, this tense place of trying to navigate talking to my white brothers and sisters because for a lot of people it was like, oh, Lecrae, you're like the white whisperer. You know how to talk to white people. You're good at this. But then at the same time, not wanting my 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 black brothers and sisters to feel like I was like 
you know, shucking and jiving and just kind of like dancing around things. And I know you felt that. I know you had to feel that. I felt it for myself and it backfired on me when I had my viral moment, you know, which, you know, me talking to a prominent pastor in Atlanta and in the moment when he says something that obviously was ignorance and, and him not realizing how detrimental it was, I'm sitting there thinking like, yeah, that wasn't a good thing he said, but what's my next point going to be? But it looks as if I'm passively accepting the ignorance that he's saying. Mm-hmm. It was it was chaotic for me. For you, you're on uncomfortable conversations. You're having conversations with everybody. I mean, NFL commissioner, Matthew McConaughey, everybody, Lil Wayne. There's people who feel a way about what you're saying. I, like, I know I went to a dark place some days because of the scrutiny. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you face scrutiny outside of a couple things that I know about? But like, did you face it and how did it affect you? Here's what's crazy, bro. Um, there's an author. I won't say his name because people get distracted by the author. And 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 but the quote is that people have a schizophrenic relationship with winners. They mm-hmm. say they re- like to root for the underdog because the underdog makes for a great story. But if you're up for too long, you better grab a helmet. And that's mm-hmm. what I felt like. Early mm. on, I ain't really, nobody really had issues with uncomfortable conversation. Black, white, in between. Right. You know what I mean? Right. If they did have an issue with it, they didn't really verbalize it. Yeah. But once your boy was up for too long, started having <laughs> one too many conversations, then all of a sudden I was like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Y'all all hate me? Like, wait a second. Mm. And, and obviously it was... It was um, I was getting so much of it from the black community, which truly hurt your boy because I'm like, yeah, I'm having dialogue with people who wouldn't otherwise have dialogue. Now, I might not be saying it how you want me to say it. I might not mm-hmm. be saying it as aggressively as you want me to say it. I might not mm-hmm. be saying it is um, as jarring as you want me to say it. But I'm trying to say something in a manner in which they can receive it. So don't be mad at me for the way in which I'm doing it. And my biggest frustration and my biggest pain point was simple. Kind of like couples argue. Argue in the house. Mm -hmm. You ain't got to argue for Mm -hmm. everybody else to see it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when I'm Mm -hmm. arguing with different black people, whether it's on their podcast and I'm being completely surprised and shocked at like, wait a second, yo, hit my line. Because now we're two black men up here arguing for now – our white brothers and sisters would be like, oh, well, if they're arguing, why do I need to support either of them? Right. Like, it's chaos. Oh, hit, it's all hit, chaos. Hit my line. You feel right. me? I'm not even yeah. saying I need you to agree with me. You don't have to. But if you want to check your boy, hit me and be like, yeah. hey, Ach, you think about doing it like this, think about doing it like, or yeah. simply put, do it your way. Yeah. My dog. Um, you know him because the last time I saw you, I saw him. You saw him. Toby and Weegway. That's my dogs. My Nigerian brother. Yeah. yeah. Toby does things in ways I wouldn't do. Arrest the killers mm-hmm. of Breonna Taylor. That's his. That's his joint. Made a whole song about mm-hmm. the joint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it my way. I don't rap. He's he's making a song. Arrest the killers. And, and we're I'm- we're glad you don't. By the way. <laughs> <Keep going. laughs> like he's doing it his way. I'm doing it my way. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I would never be like, "Hey, bro, why the hell are you why, why are you rapping about it?" You know what I'm saying? Not, no, 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 no. Yeah. Because he's speaking to people who need to hear it like that, and I'm yeah. 
certain people who need to hear it like this. Whatever works for you, works for you. Whatever works for me, works for me. But what I hated and what hurt me most was don't publicly undercut somebody who's trying to do good for your own and their own community. So yeah, yeah right. it, it was tough, bro. It was I could see I could see how that would you know it, it I know for me it was extremely painful. And I'm very grateful. Shout out to Austin Channing, shout out to Akimani. Like these women called me, you know, and said, Hey bro, let's talk about what you did. And one of the best pieces of advice that they gave me, they said, Hey man, consider the audience that you're 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 placating for, that you're fighting for. Consider the voices that are not heard. And that was helpful to me to not like cater to any one particular person that I'm sitting in front of, but to care about the people who needed representation. But I, I agree with you. Like everyone does not need to be aggressive. And it's also hard because as a, as a Christian, you know, I'm, I'm a believer. I, I feel like every single human being is made in the image of God. So every single human being deserves dignity, deserves to be treated with grace, right? And so not to say they don't need to be held accountable for their actions, but I, I don't see the, ne the, the necessity to go in and just punch on people or, or yell at them in, in, in order to get my point across. And here, um, here I yeah. co-sign that. Here was my thing is yeah. like, I'm not even mad at people who want to be aggressive. Now, sure. I don't think aggression works as well as uh, uh, peaceability. I don't personally. Mm -hmm. But if you want to be yeah. aggressive, be aggressive. I'm not going to publicly chastise you. Like, I do not think saying like, man, y'all are so effing ignorant. And eff I right. don't think that works personally. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I don't. I don't personally like that way of approaching outside of the fact that I, I love the Lord. And I think that Jesus definitely turned over tables when he got raw with people. But there was a but th there was a point in that and there's context for that. The other reason why I don't think it works, because it doesn't work on me. When people come at me sideways, yelling at me, telling me I suck and and I'll never get it right and I'm the worst ever, it doesn't make me say, geez, man, I should really consider how I did right. that. I, I'm thank you for addressing me. Like it doesn't it doesn't change my perspective. So it's, it's so when I see, you know, the comments under a LeBron James, for instance, and they're just all this vis vitriol and just hatred. I'm like, do y'all really think he's looking at this saying, thank you so much. Yeah. This is so helpful. Um, I do think that, like you said, hitting somebody's line. I do think that having a conversation with somebody. And now, granted, if we're sitting in front of, you know, millions of people and, and, and everyone else is watching this, yeah, it's going to come under more fire. But again, I, I, I definitely you know, relate to the, to the, the fact that you wanted to create a space and a place to have these conversations and no one else was doing it. So I, I you got to give the man credit for doing what no one else was doing and opening up these opportunities in these doors. And at the end of the day, he met Oprah y'all. That's all <laughs> I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Like I didn't meet Oprah yet and I don't know what I have to do. You know what I'm saying? To, 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 for me to just have a conversation with Oprah, but that's besides the point, man. I I relate 
to the scrutiny. And I think a lot of times people expect us to be perfect and to get it all right, especially when you're in front of thousands of people. Um, and brother, as somebody who loves you and cares about you, I just want to give you permission to not have it all together. I want to give you permission to not have to be, you know, uh, perfect in the eyes because media says we have to be perfect mm -hmm. and God doesn't put that standard on us. You know, God gives us grace. I mess up every day and God is still loving toward me and gracious toward me and still gives me new opportunities, new chances. And we live in this cancel culture where people assume you can't learn, you can't grow. Like what's supposed to happen once I learn something like yeah. I'm still canceled now. So what can I do? You know what I mean? I had to grow in my understanding of culture and ethnicity and race and all these particular things in real time while I'm in front of the world. And so, man, I have a special grace for people in front of the camera, in front of the world who are sharing because you have to grow in real time. Um, and, and I think and, to your point, bro, it's like people don't understand. Now, everybody can't understand what it is that you're doing, what you're trying to do, and and the pressures that come with it. Like, yeah. like you can't be perfect in something that's subjective. Because for yeah. me, please one group of people, a whole nother group of people gonna be upset at me. When I, I, yeah. I remember when you came in hot water with your virality moment with the pastor in Atlanta, and I was watching and I really, I felt bad for my dog. Cause I was like, they gonna kill Cray for this one, man. <laughs> I literally was like, I was like, they gonna kill Cray for this one. I said, and it looks bad. But as somebody who's been on a stage in the midst of a conversation and moderating a conversation, in the event for a moment you took your head to the next question or to the last question or to the this question and you don't boom in a moment, boom, moments passed. And I was like, and I said, I said, oh, they're going to get them for this one. But as somebody who's been on a stage, I'm like, I see how it happens. Yeah. Now, the rest of the world don't see how it happens. So they're just like, right. pray, how dare you, you co-sign. And I'm just like. But I also realize criticism is the cost of praise. And so when That's people facts. criticize me, I'm like, hey, I, I signed on the fine print because criticism is the cost of praise, man. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to, you know, uh, you know, lead people prepared to, 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 to take some shots, you know, if you're going to shoot, you're going to get shot. And that's just the reality. So being on that public platform you know, that's a part of it. And I think we do need to develop tough skin, but we, I think we also have to culture people into seeing our humanity. And that's, that's why I wanted to do this, this podcast, because I don't think people see nuance. They don't see the nuance of a human being. They just see the robot sitting on, you know, television or on their phone. And they don't realize this is a whole person. This is a dynamic human being. Like as much as I want to see, you know, uh, Dak Prescott or LeBron James, be everything that I want them to be. Well, Dak, on a personal level, I'm not a Cowboy fan. Let that be known. I'm no shade. <laughs> just let that be known. Uh, but Dak, on a personal level, like as much as I want to see them rise to to the occasion every time, I also know these are sons, yeah. uh, father, uh, yeah. husband. Like there's so much more dynamic to them. And having friends in professional sports, I understand how all of those particular things feed into their abilities to perform on the field. And, and, and so again, it goes back to me believing that man, we're dynamic human beings. There's nuance to us. And there's some people who are looking at you and they're saying, this guy's perfect. He's perfect. He's got, he doesn't even have a six pack. He's got a, an eight pack 
Uh, he's, you know what I'm saying? His teeth are white all the time. He's articulate. <laughs> he he gets every word right. He's always got a a, a, a clever line. You know, he's perfectly packaged. Um, but they don't see your humanity. They don't know when Emmanuel Acho wakes up in the morning, his breath stinks. Mm -hmm. I don't know that, but I I don't know personally, but I know it's true. Mm -hmm. I know I know your breath doesn't smell like spearmint when you wake up in the morning. I know that. Okay. Uh, they they don't know that you battle or you struggle or you wrestle with, you know, was this right or was this right or is this gonna work or is this gonna work? They don't see that, and I and and I think, man, there's got to be credit given to people for how they navigate all of those like realities. And not only do you navigate them, brother, you are navigating them in a way to where it's working and it's effective. And I, I wanna make sure you know, we appreciate you doing that, especially at this juncture in your life, because who knows, we don't know how much longer, you know, this is going to be your reality. We don't know what you're gonna move into. We don't know. I mean, your, your future wife may be watching this right now and she's gonna take you out of the marketplace and say, hey, we're not doing this no more, Manuel. You know what I mean? Like, this is it, you know what I'm saying? So. Um, but you know, as you, as you're doing all of these particular things, yes, you're winning, but do you, does the, and I don't know why I'm asking you this cause I know the answer, but I'm just going to ask you for all of the likes, all of the subscriptions, all of the book sales, all of the awards, do the negative comments, the one or, or two out of the million do they ever get under your skin? A thousand percent. But bruh, I had to, man, I used to Twitter search my name back in the gap, back in 2017, mm. 2018, 2019. I'm a part like, of that oh, tribe as well. I like, let me see what well. the street's talking about, right? Like, ah, oh, let me Twitter search my name. That'll just see like, oh, I loved Acho's outfit today. Oh, Acho's take was hilarious. Oh, Acho sucked today. Boom, boom, boom. Man, 2020, I stopped Twitter searching my name so fast because it was just like, <laughs> I chose dancing for the man. I chose a coon. I chose this. I chose that. I chose boom. I, I was like, I can't deal with this no more. I had to take, <laughs> I had to take intentional steps to protect mm. my mental health. Intentional steps. Mm. I won't even read a whole, a whole tweet before I block the person. Emmanuel Acho, you, because once you've read it, it's here. It's here. Once Man. you've read it, yeah. so all I got to, even if I just see the word clown in a tweet, I won't even read mm. the words to put them together. I'll just, nope, block, yep. nope, block. Because um, you have to, I, I had to start taking steps to yeah. protect my mind, to protect yeah. my heart, because I am human. And you do, you feel what people say. I don't necessarily care, particularly like, if there ain't no truth to it, I ain't even like Sure, that. sure. But like, yeah, bro, like that that really did impact me at first. Now, yeah. not really. Now, because yeah. I'll be blocking people. I block people like it's my job. I boop, boop, block, boop, boop, block, block, block. Oh, what? But that's wisdom because there's a lot of people in prominent positions who haven't learned that yet, who haven't learned to bro, ignore. Like, oh, I be, I be seeing people and I'm like, why are you responding to this person? Like, especially yep. if it's a lot. Every now and then I'll dunk on somebody. Yeah. Every now and then, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but like, 
I'd be, for the most, like, people be getting in, like, heated arguments with people. And I'm like, how are you giving them the authority to speak to you? Like, there isn't a world. And there's this book, um, is it? No, it's, uh, but what if we're wrong? And it talks Mm. about the fact that in what world could a novice have a conversation with an experiential or literal expert on a level playing field outside of social media? Social like, media. Hey, how in the world is somebody who's never written a song, let alone an album, going to tell you that your album's trash? Going yep. to tell you, well, I would have wrote it like this. Well, I would have put the uh, melody structure like that. Like, bro, you you don't even know that you don't know that you don't know. I'll be sitting there on, so online like, you can't even drop a cover two defense, but you want to tell me, I don't know what I'm talking about? Right. Did, like, that. that. I played against the greatest players in the world, and I don't know what I'm talking about. But you do because you played Madden and you ran Engage 8 every play and it worked? You live in your mother's basement. Like, you are you are on her meal plan. Bruh. Right so, now. Right as we speak. As we speak. As we so, speak. And you have so much to say about what I'm talking about. It's crazy to me. And, and this is what I'm like, People are like, yo, man, I'm so sorry, bro. I'm sorry for what you're dealing with. And I'm like, what, what am I dealing with? Like all the stuff that people are saying. I was like, oh, I don't, I just do this. That's all I did. I don't even know what's happening because it's irrelevant to the real world right now. And the, the thing I hate is, it's creating a coward culture. It's creating a coward culture. And, or, or I don't know a better way to put it, but it's making us afraid to be bold, it's making us afraid to say things that matter. It's making us afraid to take chances. It's making us afraid to write new songs, to have opinions, because we're looking at all of these uninformed, subjective perspectives of people on the sideline. You've never, I'm, I'm curious, has there ever been a time when you play professional sports or anyone that you know, where you heard someone from the sideline screaming, run this play, and you said, perfect, thank you so much. <laughs> no. No, thank you. And so, but we're doing that in real time. We're, we're not saying things that we need to be saying. We're not doing things we've been called to do. We're not writing the songs we should be writing. We're not taking the career paths we need to be taking because the, 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 the stands are telling us what we should and shouldn't be doing. I think it's absurd. I think it's ludicrous. So again, it's, it, I'm not saying we need to create a culture where everyone has to be dogmatic and everyone has to, uh, 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 because the the problem with the internet is that everyone now has a voice and everyone now becomes an authority on everything. But I do think there should be, there should be deference given to people who really like have earned their keep in their respective spaces. Mm. And and have said some things. That's well, that's well said. There should be deference given to people who have really earned their keep in, in respective spaces. The reason you can say that, I believe, is because you know what it takes to have earned your keep in a space. So people who do not realize what it takes to earn their keep in a space, they can just speak flippantly about a space because they haven't earned their keep in said space. I got into um one of the, the most painful parts 
of doing uncomfortable conversations for me was about a year ago. I went on this podcast and next thing you know, people just calling me out just left and right. Like what well, a reason you're so successful is because, you know, you were placating to white people. You're an emotional butler to white people. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, if you knew what it took to get where I got, you wouldn't fix your lips to say none of these words. <laughs> you feel me? Like if you knew that it took me staying up all night writing a manuscript so that Oprah could say, hey, let's publish this book in in four in four months. Falling asleep on, with my fingers on a keypad. If you knew that I rented my own studio space in Austin, Texas, and hired a wedding videographer to shoot it because I had no videographer team. My best friend, an Olympic gold medalist, stood in it as my producer. If you knew that's how uncomfortable conversations came to pass, if you Mm. knew I spent $15,000 of my own money, which I didn't have at the time, to create uncomfortable conversations, not thinking it would become a big deal, because at the time I had 30,000 Instagram and Twitter followers, if you knew this was my heart, you wouldn't even fix your lips to speak. But you don't even know what it took to get here. So you don't know how I got here. So that's, bro, I think you can speak on that because you understand. But I think there's not enough grace given to people who are in certain positions, bro. It's just not. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could be here all day because there's so many dynamics that I feel like we could talk about. Um, but I'm curious and, and you've alluded to this before in other podcasts, but I, I don't know if you could maybe like expand your perspective on a little bit, but man, you wanted to create a safe space to have uncomfortable conversations. Um, we're not here to talk about what people thought about the space or any of those particular things, but the motive the, the motivation was to create a safe space to have these healthy conversations. Um, how does that come about? And, and not so much like, hey, uh, what were the details that it took to make this happen? But more so, how does it come about that you desire to create a safe space for people? And is there a safe space that you've experienced or that you have now? Um, how does that 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 you know idea come to fruition? Great question. Um, it came to fruition simply, man. I went to church in Oak Cliff, and you know, Oak Cliff ain't always been what Oak Cliff is now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. Oak Cliff ain't always been Oak Cliff. So I went to a church at, at Oak Cliff, predominantly black. I went to high school, predominantly white. So I realized by going to church on Wednesday, Sundays, and all three services that Language is spoken differently, bro, between black people and white people, like Mm -hmm. quite literally. You can look no further than um, uh, a Q-Dog doing a pregame step on a football field. A white social media account might post like, oh, look at this dude getting excited before a game. And a black social media account would be like, nah, bro, he's just a Q. You know what I'm saying? Um, And so there's just different languages spoken in society. So the safe space was more so realizing, how can I communicate this message that black people trying to communicate to white people, but white people not hearing it because they're speaking a different language. We all been in foreign countries. True Mm -hmm. story, Clay. I was in Puerto Vallarta about three years back, bruh. I was with about eight groups of friends. True story. And they sent me 
to go buy hamburger buns and hamburgers. So I'm walking through the uh, through the grocery store. I'm walking through. I'm pacing through the aisles, and I can't find the buns. So I go to one of the um, store attendants, and I'm like, hey, hamburgers, hamburgers, hamburgers. They're looking at me crazy. I'm like, y'all got hamburgers. They're looking at me crazy. Finally, I got service on my phone, and I type in hamburgers in, in, in Spanish, like hamburguesa. And as soon as I say that, they're like, oh, <laughs> I said, now you telling me you ain't know that I was saying hamburgers this whole time? Like, it ain't that big a difference. Yeah. Um, but in that moment, bro, I realized you can try to speak to somebody, but they might not understand you, bro. So uncomfortable conversations truly was created, not exclusively about a safe space. It was more so my black brothers and sisters are trying to communicate why white people shouldn't say the N word Mm. and white people not necessarily hearing them. So let me say Mm. it in a way that my white brothers and sisters can hear. My black brothers and sisters are trying to communicate why reverse racism isn't a thing. But my Mm. white brothers and sisters aren't here. My black brothers are trying to communicate um, why systemic injustice exists and what systemic injustice is. But my white mm-hmm. brother, wanted to say, so that's really all I was doing was like, okay, how can I take this message and say it in that way so mm-hmm. that those people can hear what they trying to say? Yeah. And, and that was the, truly that was the ethos of uncomfortable conversations. Um, yeah. To answer your second question, Finding my own safe space, that was the harder part. Mm. That was the harder part. Because to white people, I was racist. And to black people, I was too nice to white people. So to white people, to black people, I was damn for the man. And to white people, I was racist. So I was like, all right, well, okay, well, I guess y'all all just all hate me. That's cool. Um, so, yeah, man. That's tough. Uh, that's tough. Um <clears throat> And and I know the quality of your character and I know how important it is for you to thrive and you need those spaces. And, you know, we talked a little bit beforehand and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to hold you longer, but we talked a little bit beforehand about you moving to to a new city. And I'm curious, like you're starting from scratch. You're trying to find new people, new, new. I have relationships in my life that. And, and this is what I want for people. Everyone doesn't have this, but what I want people is for people to have integrated relationships. And what, what that looks like for me is my relationships are so integrated that there's like, I'm so safe in those realities, in those circles, that there's literally nothing I can say or do that'll get me kicked out or canceled from those relationships. It would have to be very bad. But I'm to the point where I feel like, truthfully, I feel like I could go out and commit a murder. These people are going to come visit me in prison and be yeah. trying to help me get back on the right track. Like, that's the level of integration that we currently have. And I'm just wondering, moving to a completely different city, you're recognizable. You know, people have different perspectives on you. Like, it's been hard for me to find safe spaces you know, even going to church and just feeling like, do you really love me or do you love what I am to the culture? What, how are you navigating that? Or if you are, I mean, I'm, I'm sure yeah. it's, it's an issue. I don't know where you are with that. I'll give you a story of probably my, my lowest point in a conversation I had with somebody, you know, well, um, I'll never forget. I am in Beverly Hills. I'm in a townhouse, two story townhouse. I had moved to LA three months prior. I'm, I'm pacing in my living room, experiencing like severe, just loneliness on Instagram. Everybody had loved me. This is three months into uncomfortable conversations. I've gained 900,000 followers in the matter of three weeks. The whole world is like, Oh my gosh, Emmanuel, you're great. But bruh, I didn't really have any friends. 
Mm. All my friends were online. So I'm in my house mm. by myself, and I didn't really have anybody. I moved to a new city. I'd been in Austin for 10 years. Now I'm in L.A., in Beverly Hills, in the middle of COVID, mind you. Can't go nowhere. Can't eat nothing. They're just lonely. I pick up the phone. I call Minio. And I say, um, I say, hey, bro. I say, I think I'm depressed. And he said, um, he said, I think he said, congratulations, you've arrived. <laughs> true story. It's a true story, Craig. You know, I can't make this up. I can't make this up. I called Minio. I said, bro, like, I'm going through it. And what I love also about our friend groups is that we're all very just like, yo, this person dope, connect with this person, connect with that person, all the things. So he says, congratulations, you've arrived. And I'm like, what? what? What you talking about, bro? I just told you I'm depressed. What do you mean, congratulations? He's like, bro, you go through this. He was like, this is your season of life where, like, you rose to fame very quickly, very prominently, all of these things, and now you have to figure out what's really important to you in life. And mm -hmm. now you have to stabilize. Now you have to, you know, come back to center. Now you have to, he's like, this is a part of the journey of a rise to success. He said, you've just experienced yours in a meteoric fashion. So after that conversation, I said, let me find a community. Um, thankfully, mm. Judas, the pastor out here in, in L.A., he had reached out to me. We got breakfast at the rooftop of the Waldorf Hotel. We broke bread. He instantly integrated me into their church home community, church home, the home out here, or the church out here. And, bro, since then, it's just been amazing. So since then, Man. I've been in a great place, great community, great tentacles tapped in, um, but that was a conversation in the summer of 2020. That was December, actually, of 2020 when I called Andy. And mm -hmm. um, and I, I'll never forget, because that was my lowest point. That was like my lowest, I do not know what to do. I need to call a famous friend who will keep, <laughs> who will keep it the most real with me. Because, bro, remember, I didn't have a ton of famous friends at the time. Yeah, You feel me? Because I had just yeah. made it. I just popped off. And not sports famous. You feel right. me? I, I know need some people who like knew what's up. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, I did. I, okay, call. And so that was probably the the lowest point that led me to the safe spaces and community, bro. Mm. I'm I'm extremely happy for that man, and and um, you know, I always I'm grateful for that's what Kirk Franklin was for me, uh, for everybody who's walking in that role and in that space. Um, it's very necessary, man, and, and you know, everyone isn't isn't built for that um some people can't rise to that occasion and and breathe that air so man i'm grateful for that for you um man before we before we go man what do you want people to know what what's new and what do you want people to know what, what what's the message that emmanuel wants people to know these days that's good dude that's really good um the message, I think my biggest message is 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 probably like obedience is more important than talent. Mm. Obedience is more important than talent. I was in a I was in a conversation with a, a dear friend of mine, Bozma St. John. She was a former CMO, Chief Marketing Officer of Netflix. And um we were having this debate over what is more important, favor or obedience? Mm. Right? Because biblically, like if you had favor, you was Gucci. And she was like, I I don't think it's favor alone, Nacho. Like, I, and so I went on this 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 goose chunt, goose chase, Old Testament of just like those people, whether it was Moses, um, whether it was Samson, um, whether it was Esther, whether it was Elijah, like what was the secret? 
and Mm -hmm. they all were obedient. And if Mm -hmm. they weren't obedient, that's when they lost favor. And Mm -hmm. so my season of life in 2024 is like, yo, it's not just about being talented. I always tell people I'm talented, but I ain't that talented. You feel me? I ain't that talented. To me, it's about obedience. And so anybody listening is like, are you willing to be obedient? Don't look at Lecrae and think Lecrae made it because Lecrae's talented. Yeah, cool, he's talented. But like, are you willing to be obedient? That to me is the secret power to um, to greatness. That's really good, man. Uh, Man, I hope you, you, you got anything else coming up? Anything people need to know about? Nah, I don't know when they know. You know me. I always got stuff coming up. Okay. They'll know. I don't even need a... Bro, I'm at the point now, I don't really... Uh, they'll know when they know. They you know. know. You know what I mean? I'm out here. I hang with Oprah now. They they'll know. know. Hey, hey. It is time no, for them to know. They'll there's know. no book to promote. There's no nothing. Yeah. Like People come up to me like, oh, man, I never bought your book. I'm like, it was already a bestseller. You're fine. <laughs> You're fine. You know, I don't... I'm not even, even going to tell you go buy it. I'm just like... It was it was alright. It's man. fine. Kanye did that to me once. I was like, "Hey, have you heard of Lecrae's album?" He's like, "No, what? Which? What is it?" Well, it's fine. It's the number one album in the country. Don't worry, Kanye. I understand. <laughs> it's fine. It's no big deal. It's it's okay. Uh, man, I'm. I just want you to know, man. I, I I'm I'm proud of you, bro. I appreciate you. Um, I don't expect perfection. I just expect uh pursuit. You yeah. know. Um, and man, I'm glad that you're in pursuit and you're growing. Um, it's an honor. I hit your brother earlier today and just let him know, man, I love that dude, by the way. You are fortunate to have that. I know y'all probably fought like cats and dogs. You might still fight. I don't know. But uh, but that's a great guy as well. Y'all come from good stock. Man. Um, I'm 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 extremely proud of you, man, and I'm grateful for your life. I'm grateful for the impact that you're you're having. And if no one ever saw it, if it was never prominent, if there were not Emmys behind you and number one book sales. Um, you would still be as purposeful and powerful and meaningful um, as you are to this day. Uh, so, brother, I'm 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 grateful for you taking this time to sit with us, and uh, and we got to do it again, bro. No we doubt. Do it again. Thank you, family. And like I said at the beginning, I'll bookend it at the end. Thank you for the impact you had on my life. I can't speak for nobody else. I won't speak yeah. for nobody else, but the impact you had on my life from when I was man 16 until now is uh is powerful. So thank you, bro. Y'all heard it here first. I am the sole reason for the success of Emmanuel Acho. <laughs> uh I just want to reiterate that if there's any three things you didn't catch from this, as A, uh I'm responsible for his success, is B, uh he knows Oprah and I don't and it's C, he's not married, ladies. That's all. <laughs> That's it. Appreciate it, bro.